Across the Netflix stream, I'm Ward. This is your resource for Netflix. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook. Cross the Netflix stream. Contact us. Let us know what you think, what you've seen, and what we should see. Go to our website to find all of our older episodes, written reviews, and Netflix news. Cross the Netflix stream.com. Also watched Star Wars Episode 8 The Last Jedi, Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 1, and Sugar. Now, I'm not going to spoil you on Star Wars unless you want to be spoiled. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about Star Wars first. I'm going to talk about Ash vs. Evil Dead, then I'll talk about Sugar, then I'm going to circle back around at the very end of the episode and talk about potential spoilers for Star Wars, because there are some things I want to discuss. But it's going to be the very end of the episode, so you can just listen to the whole thing and then stop, because I'll give you a fair warning when we circle back around. Something inside me has always been there. This did just come out December 15th. Having discovered her Jedi powers, Rey goes to see Luke Skywalker while Leia, Finn, Poe, and the Resistance battle Kylo Ren in the First Order. This is always entertaining. I mean, it subverts nearly all of my expectations or assumptions. I felt like I didn't guess anything correct, like even like what's going to happen next, minor plot points. I felt like I just couldn't get them. It went in a different direction every time. Part of that, though, is the logic and the need for this to reinforce it's an expensive blockbuster and defy logic. Because it does defy logic a few. There is plenty of action, but it lacked any kind of meaning or impact. You begin to think, and rightfully so, that certain characters just, they're going to survive because the plot needs them. They're basically invincible with plot armor. These characters, they get so amazingly lucky right on the brink of all hope being lost that I kind of start getting annoyed with it. There's a sequence where they are facing certain death, and the camera, it might as well pan over to the right just a bit as the character says, oh yeah, that obvious thing right there we never showed the viewer, we've not mentioned the entire time, that's going to save us. I just felt kind of cheated on that. These plot transitions from, you know, to the brink of death, then we transition to, oh no, everything's going to be okay, it felt really contrived. Now there are some cool scenes thrown in the mix, but sometimes they didn't have much grounding. I would love to delve into characters like Kylo Ren, Luke Skywalker, or even General Hux. These are some characters that could have some death. No, they don't really get very deep because the movie doesn't allow them to, but they could. And there were already a lot of characters to begin with, and we get even more characters. They're just, there's some ridiculous coincidences and plenty of force in this. And sometimes I really wonder if writer and director Ryan Johnson was making fun of Star Wars too. Because this, and not just that this has a lot of humor, it's probably one of the funnier Star Wars. But it just, it feels out of place, or at least outside the norm of a Star Wars movie. There's a movie, I wasn't all that impressed. I mean, overall, I wasn't all that impressed. I mean, this has some neat moments, it has some neat shots. Uh, but this is a cultural phenomenon. It's huge, and you almost, you have to go see this just because everybody's going to be talking about it. But I don't know, the disappointment is strong with this one. I just... There were some major problems I had with this. And, you know, the big budget, to me, doesn't overcome the problems. I don't think big budget can ever overcome basic plot and story problems. And this definitely tries to do that with budget. Now, this really is, it's the first Star Wars that isn't heavily George Lucas inspired. Because even J.J. Abrams, Episode 7, he was invoking Lucas. That's what Abrams does. He is great at invoking a director and kind of bridging that gap. And that's what he did. And this movie... It does not get to introduce a new villain like Kylo Ren. It doesn't get to update us on what our hero's been doing for 30 years. I mean, we, we got a glimpse of Luke in Episode 7. So what you guessed he was doing, well, it turns out you're probably right. 
And we're told he is the Rebels' only hope. I kind of feel like I heard that, I don't know, maybe in episode four with Obi-Wan, your only hope. It, I don't know, there's some things that felt cyclical in this movie that bridge the gap from episodes one, two, three, four, five, and six. And this is, episode seven was the start of Disney's yearly Star Wars movie cycle. Because just wait, next year, Disney will launch the young Han Solo movie. That's in 2018. In 2019, we're going to come back to episode nine. But Ryan Johnson, the director and writer of this one, he's got his own trilogy he's cooking up. So there's just going to be a lot of Star Wars. And I was afraid that Rogue One, which came out last year, I thought that was going to be the point where it starts wearing thin for me. But you know what? I really enjoyed it. It had consequences that felt real. Characters were not safe. Rogue One had a lot of freedom to do some things, to do a lot of things that Episode Eight can't do. That it just it can't pull off because there's a lot of plot armor in Episode Eight. These characters, some of them might as well be invincible, and it becomes predictable in that you know who's not going to die. You know, every single person around them might die and squint a bomb blast. This person is going to walk out, no problem. I don't like that, you know, because that's just that's there's no surprise to that. Kylo Ren was the angsty teen in episode 7, and not much has changed. He could be interesting, but this movie intent to just avoid making him into a nuanced human being. There's just, I don't know, there's just too much in this movie. It is two and a half hours long, it's pretty long for even any kind of movie, but there's an entire subplot you could cut out, not lose anything. And to me, that's a problem, because if you can cut it out and not lose anything, obviously it doesn't really need to be in there. This is written and directed by Johnson, as I've said, and I, I kind of expected more, especially with a movie like Brick, which he did in 2005. I really thought that movie was neat. I thought it had a distinct vision and style and tone. And in this, Kylo and Luke, they're dull characters despite their potential. This movie never slows down. It never slows down enough to become a character drama. And I really kind of like some of that to explore. You know, even Rey, she she goes from, you know, she has some force powers to she's really powerful. Explore that some. But this, it's all about the space explosion. And if character motivations fueled the plot more than just space explosions and, oh, what's the easiest way we can get to the next step? I think this movie could have been really moving. You know, it could be a look at these two broken characters, Luke and Kylo Ren, because they do. They're kind of mirror images of each other. I will say, I mean, this is easily the best looking Star Wars from composition to framing. It's got some just stunning shots. Best of any Star Wars week. You know, Forte just doesn't have the big moments, the big reveals that Episode Seven had. And, you know, I get that. You just can't introduce another Kylo Ren. And that robs it of a little bit of impact. Uh, but, you know, there's just, there's some neat shots. The color red, we see that. You know, some shots of color red in the beginning. They end up on this planet later in the movie. And there's just some neat imagery to that, which is really just production design. But still, it's really awesome. I mean, you're going to watch this. I mean, obviously, you're going to watch episode seven before you watch episode eight. But I wish this one stood on its own just a little bit more. It really felt like you can't watch this without having seen episode seven. And for a lot of it, it felt like the characters are just biding their time. Until you get to the conclusion of the trilogy. And that happens a lot in the second movie of the trilogy. But this movie just doesn't have a lot of resolution. I don't know. Well, the second movies don't often resolve anything. Well, that's all, guys, that's all I've got to say until I get into spoilers. I'm going to continue with my other reviews. And then we will circle back to Star Wars. Ash vs. Evil Dead was recently added to Netflix streaming. At least in, I've seen Evil Dead 1 and 2. I've seen Army of Darkness. I'm a big Bruce Campbell fan. So this... I've been waiting to see this for... Gosh, I guess since it came out back in 2015. This is very tongue-in-cheek, and, you know, this this very much is Ash Prime. You know, it's him and his prime. And I thought there were just some neat touches in this. this. I thought this season did a great job of bridging the gap from Evil Dead 1 and 2, Army of Darkness, to this show. Phenomenal job bridging the gap. Ash is pretty much still Ash, and he even has the same car from the original. It's campy fun. 
He still works at Value Stop. And Bruce Campbell, Bruce Campbell, he chews some scenery. He is great. And even how it just kind of subverts a few things, subverts a few. He meets Kelly early on, and you know, he's talking about how great her genes are, and she needs to thank her mom. And she's like, my mom's dead. Now, normally you'd think that the character's going to backbone and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. No, Ash, Ash is like, really? You're going to drop that bomb on me when I just met you? You can't do that to somebody you just met. I just, I loved it. That is Ash, you know, that's just the definition of Ash, and I love it. I'm a big fan of Campbell. I thought it was, just love this. Had a great time with it. And I do have to shout out Bruce Campbell's movie. The first movie I ever saw Bruce Campbell in was Bubba Hotep. That's got mummies and JFK and Elvis. That's something else. I've even seen Brisco- Briscoe County Jr. This, it captured a lot of kind of what made Evil Dead, Evil Dead, but also seamlessly jumps to present day. Uh, you know, some of these shots and angles are very much Evil Dead. And Army of Darkness really is kind of the blueprint for the style and the comedy of this, because Evil Dead in 1 and 2 weren't really necessarily comedic, at least not to the degree of Army of Darkness was. Army of Darkness had a lot more fun. And obviously, if you've seen any of those movies, you know that the production values of Ash vs. Evil Dead really outshot movies. Those movies were shoestring budget. And this, this goes above and beyond on the production now, it is very gory. There's a lot of blood, but it's so bloody and gory and so over the top that it's almost comedic. You know, it's just blood explosions all over the place. I did think that it was kind of fun to see to see this hero, Ash, as somebody a little bit older, dealing with age. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just, you don't usually see, usually see the hero, they're young, and this, he's a little bit older, and he's still the same kind of hero. He still does all the same things, but he's just dealing with a little bit age a little bit more, and I thought I just thought the pilot was great. I thought it bridged the gap great because you don't need to know any of the Evil Dead movies to get into this. You can jump right into this. And there's a couple move couple shows out that are horror satire like this. I want to say it's Crazy Head. I don't know if that's it or not, but there's just a couple things like this. Uh, I love the humor of this. Great. I mean, there's I think it's maybe episode two or three where I believe Ash is Kelly's parent and ask why are you covering blood? He's like, well, we hit a deer with my car. And, it, you know, he goes like, and then he goes on to explain, he's saying, well, you know, I pulled out of my grill and it exploded and they need to cut up with this chainsaw. And it's just, it's funny. I love the style of him. Very gory, comically gory, but man, Ash is funny. I love watching him. He's great. In it. You know, then this also throws in Lucy Lawless into this and, and she sees this like demon hunter type character. I, you know, it's kind of funny. Some of the side characters, they die because there's a big thing. Ash shows in the beginning how everybody who comes into contact with him dies. And this, and there's like this subtle joke running in the background of some of these side characters that die. The music is great. Nearly every episode has a solid song. Um, yeah, and ultimately Ash is headed back to the cabin and trying to stop everything. But that's my quick rundown. Ash vs. Evil Dead, a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun watching that. But again, know that it is horror, comedy, a lot of blood and gore, but it's comical. I guess I should say that Ash, he has a chainsaw for a hand. That's probably an important point to jump into. He does. This show's worth checking out. A lot of fun. And the last thing I watched this week, Sugar. This is from 2008. It's about Dominican baseball star Miguel Sugar Santos. He record, he's recruited to pitch in the U.S. minor league baseball, and he meets a lot of obstacles in the world. I mean, at times this felt kind of like a documentary, just to capture some of these small moments that really, you know, rang true, at least what I would think would ring true. He first gets to the States. He doesn't speak English well, and so he goes to the restaurant, and he, he has... One of his friends who knows a little bit of English, and he orders French toast. Well, then he keeps ordering French toast because he can't order anything else. He doesn't know the language. At one point, he tries to order an egg, and he just, there's that language barrier, and he can't do it. And so, it's, I mean, the movie never draws conclusions or kind of does this comparison to say, you know, it's one thing to try and play ball 
pro ball and make it to the majors. I mean, that's hard enough, but to deal with this cultural barrier, this language barrier, I mean, Miguel, he grew up in the Dominican Republic playing ball. His dream was to play pro ball. But at some point in this movie, you wonder, was it his dream to play pro ball to escape poverty? Or was it his dream to play pro ball because he loves pro ball? And I kind of have to wonder if it's more he wanted to escape poverty. And that's, yeah, you know, I'm getting into this a little bit later. But the movie doesn't give you anything. It doesn't, it doesn't get into that. You know, there's another, a teammate of his that was a star at college ball. And you just kind of, you could compare those two and their different trajectories. But the movie doesn't do that. It really makes, it forces you to draw conclusions. It just kind of gives you the information and you make of it. There's one part where I thought it was going to get kind of tropey. Miguel is staying with an elderly couple on a farm. It's common for minor league baseball players that are not Nate local, which most of them aren't, to stay with different foster type parents. And so the granddaughter, Miguel, share a moment. I thought, is this going to get tropey, like this whole farmer's daughter thing? But nah, like it kind of touches on that and then keeps me. So Miguel, he hits a slump. I mean, all these things have gone on in his life. I mean, he's left everything he's ever known. And the movie doesn't really explore that as much as I thought it would. Part of it is the actor playing Miguel doesn't really express much emotion. So you never really get a lot from him. He hits a slump. It just, it really tears him up. And one day, you know, he's, all his teammates are getting the bus and he just walks away. He goes to New York. and you know, I'm thinking about that. That's your dream. You're going to give up on that. And that's why I kind of came back to what I was saying earlier, that was it his dream to play pro ball or was it his dream to escape poverty? Because those are two very different things. And I think if his dream was just to escape poverty, it speaks to why he was able to give up baseball. Now, at the end, he is playing for some kind of like summer softball type league. And at first I think, oh, you know, he's found his place. He's living in New York. He's still playing ball. He has a job. He's doing what he wants to. Then you think about it again. You think, well, why do we think he's happy? Just because we want movies to have a happy ending. We want him to be happy. He had a chance to be a major leaguer. He gave up on that. He quit. Is he thinking, man, you know, I could have made better choice in my life. I don't know. And that's what makes this movie neat. It leaves a lot of viewer to decide where does Miguel end up? Is that a happy place or not? I, I thought the movie was, it was neat. I mean, it's not a, not a great movie per se, but it really makes you think. It really is a great look at what it's like to be a minor league baseball player when you come from outside of the country. All right, so I've covered my non-spoilers on Star Wars. I've covered Asterisk Evil Dead. I've covered Sugar. Now we're going to come back to Star Wars. Now I'm going to get into spoilers. I'm going to get into big spoilers. So if you are unfamiliar with Star Wars Episode Eight and you haven't seen it, bail out of this. I'm not going to discuss anything else other than Star Wars. This is the concluding portion of the episode. We're jumping in to Star Wars spoilers, as I've already said. So bail out now if you don't want to get spoilers. So I mentioned I was disappointed in this movie, and my disappointment came swiftly. I didn't get the text crawl. I don't know. The text crawl always... Felt like it made the world bigger. It let us know these multiple stories going on in the world, more so than just the events immediately happening in this movie and the preceding movie. I just didn't get that feeling from this test crawl. You know, I want this massive world that it's a universe, not just, you know, this one little planet. This opens with the first order set to the rebels posing an X-Wing. And he's the only he's the only rebel. And of course, General Hux and the First Order, they're like, well, you know, this guy poses no problem. What is he? And so they, you know, they're on the Radio and Hux goes in this big monologue about he's going to destroy the rebels and they're nothing. And he, he's going through it. And Hux says, hey, uh, I'm holding for Hux. I'm sorry. Poe says, hey, I'm holding for Hux. I mean, it's a funny moment, especially in the first scene. I don't know, it just seemed a little too funny. I mean, it's definitely a great primer for the humor in this. But I, I, just, I don't want my Star Wars mood lightened. I like it kind of dark because this is a big deal. The rebels being eradicated. I don't know. And it, I mean, I guess I could see why they'd want to lighten the mood. There's a lot of death and destruction, but they're all unnamed characters. So it doesn't really have any meaning. It doesn't have any impact or emotion. These are just people we don't know dying. It's like we, and while we're constantly on the verge of the Rebels completely ending, I never felt that dire. 
And the biggest problem I have with this movie is just that it frequently creates these near impossible tasks that no one could overcome, and then the character overcomes it. I mean, it happens once, you know, sure, I'll give it to you, but it happens a couple of times. Come on, can we make the plot just a little bit more creative? Because it reaches a point where you know success is inevitable. They're not going to fail. They can't. Um, you know, you've got Poe. He's, in essence, he's a distraction. That When he's that lone ship with distraction for rebel bombers, and of course, every single bomber, there's dozens of them, every single one of them is destroyed except the last one. It's down to the last living crewman. They have to climb a ladder because the detonator is just out of reach. And it's just all these impossible things. And one of my big questions was, we're in this bomber ship. And the crewman's in the bottom of the ship. It is open to space. And the bombs start dropping. Because I thought, you know, I thought, well, maybe there's a force field. And, you know, there's things I don't know. Maybe there's a force field. But the bombs start dropping through the bottom of the ship where the crewman is on a catwalk. So this is either some, like, magical portal or there's a person open a space and somehow that does not phase them. I don't know how that would work. I just, you know, could we not do that better? So that's what's going on in the beginning. Then we jump to Ray. She's picking up right where she left in episode seven. She's on Luke's planet. He doesn't want to train her. He wants the Jedi in. He doesn't think the Jedis are important. On and on and on. And the fact is, she doesn't even need any training. She just picks up a lightsaber and she's got all the skills. There's always been this Jedi school and all this training. She doesn't even need any training. I mean, you know, if this had given us a montage, she spent months on Luke's planet training. Maybe I could buy a little bit more, but she just picks up a lightsaber and she's ready to go. And then we go back to Kylo Ren, and he is Snoke's lapdog. And in one of the very first scenes, we see Snoke and Kylo Ren. Snoke derives him for his silly helmet. And I kind of feel like the movie is picking apart a few Star Wars conventions because Kylo Ren had a helmet. And Darth Vader always had a helmet. I, I mean, it's funny to a degree, but I frequently felt like the script was making fun of the fans or Star Wars convention. And I do wish the movie explored Kylo's conflict. When he's caught between an uncle he thought wanted to kill him, he's caught between Snoke who wants to use him, and and Kylo does have a desire to prove him that he's not just some... And you've got all these swirling emotions the movie doesn't do a lot with. Towards the end, he pivots on a dime from, you know, whoa, maybe he'll choose to leave the dark side and join the light side of the ray, to he's like, oh, you know what? Change your mind. I just want to rule the universe. Now that Snoke's out, I want to rule the universe. I thought that was a bit of a quick pivot. I mean, I get why he pivoted. I get kind of the underpinnings. But the movie just didn't pull that off to my satisfaction. Ultimately, that's what it's about. My satisfaction. Now, there's this cool moment because Kylo and Rey, they are linked throughout the movie where they can see each other despite being worlds away. And what's revealed is that Snoke set all that up because he was setting Kylo up to get Rey because he's after Rey because I don't know what it is in these Star Wars movies, but, you know, the powerful bad guy always wants... The powerful good guy wants to win him to their side. And of course, in this, Ray wants to, le- to lead Kylo to her side. You know, everybody wants people to change sides. So Snoke's at that moment, but then after he dies, Ray and Kylo are still linked. So whose power is that? Is that his power? Is that her power? What's going on? It just, it felt too easy, you know, because we didn't see the characters like struggle to make this happen, which, you know, I've never seen that before in Star Wars. So I'd seen it. Take- and, you know, and the, you know, I talked about the whole, the bad guy wants the good guy, good guy wants to turn the bad guy. Felt very original. I mean, at this point where, Snoke is saying how great he is now. He knows everything on Kylo's mind, can see everything. And it's at that moment that Kylo kills him. Now, I just wanted the movie to have a snappy one-liner with Kylo saying, I guess you didn't see that coming. I mean, just something to let me know this movie's self-aware because that just felt really contrived. I mean, I believed Snoke was powerful, that he had that kind of power to see everything on Kylo's mind. So he missed that. Why? You know, I don't get a good reason as to why other than, well, he just needed to miss it so Kylo could have this cool thing where he kills Snoke. I don't know. So Snoke gone, Kylo wants to rule the world with Rey by his side. She refuses. So he, his response is, well, I'll just destroy everything else. I don't know. Now, one thing, another moment I liked, 
is that we get a reveal for Ray's parents. And I've talked to a few people that have said, well, that can't be the real reveal. That was just Kylo messing with her. But I think it would be awesome if what we were told is exactly what we get. Kylo says her parents were nobodies, just junk farmers. And that is a bit of a mirror to Anakin. And I like the idea that anybody can be a Jedi. You don't have to be a Skywalker lineage to be a Jedi. You can be anybody. You can come from anywhere. And just with all the speculation people had about who her parents were, I kind of like this a little bit of a slap in the face to a small degree that, you know, you're thinking too big. Could be anybody. Now, the side plot I mentioned previously that you could completely cut out and you wouldn't lose much, that'd be Finn's adventure. I mean, yeah, he gets to battle Captain Phasma, but the whole adventure, it's a moot point. I mean, it's a red herring, a means to no end. He's teams up with Rose. And I like how they meet. Finn is, in essence, running away on an escape pod. Rose sees him and is upset because at first she's a hero and then says, well, she's running away. You're a coward. But Finn is doing that because he wants to save Rey because if Rey comes back to the ship, she'll be killed, certainly, because the Rebels are just about gone. So I like that we get a plot point that is motivated by characters instead of just, this is what the plot needs. Now, I talked about some contrived coincidences. Finn and Rose need to find the only man in the solar system that can infiltrate the First Order shield. They can't find him. And as they're talking about this, this guy just happens to pop out. He's sleeping off the street. He pops up. It's Benicio Del Toro who's playing the character. He's like, oh yeah, I can do anything you want. Done. Boom. It's just... You know, we get to this point where it's, well, they can't find him. Guess that plans out. Oh, no, wait. This random guy just happens to have all the skills. Supposed to buy that? I don't know. Because all the plot is predicated on the fact that the First Order can track the Rebels through hyperspace, which is a novel. That's what sends Finn and Rose on their way. And that's how the First Order is able to follow the Rebels, attack them. Now, when they first jump and the Rebels and the First Order follows them, you now you've got ships blasting away at the Rebels and they are doing some damage. And the bridge of the rebel ship, bomb goes off, explodes it. Princess Leia is thrown into space, and she's floating into space. You know, a vacuum, that's what space is, unless Star Wars universe is somehow different. And Leia force pulls herself back to a door, somehow finds an intermediate chamber to pressurize herself, then, once she sets foot in the ship, goes unconscious. And that entire sequence is hard to t- This plays fast and loose with logic to make cool moments, and I just did not like that moment. I didn't buy any of it. So Leia out. Poe takes control in a coup. And what makes this bonkers is that the Rebels, they had this plan. They kept it secret, not only from the viewer, but from Poe too, which led him to Sage's coup. And it's all to teach him a life lesson about being so brash. Because and it's like, all hope is lost. Oh, wait, no, there's this Rebel base that just happened to be off screen. We never showed you. That's what we're... I don't know. I, I didn't like that, you know? I mean, he could have told us that or made it a better reveal, but... It was just off screen, like we could have seen it wrong. They just never showed it. And so Poe, he, you know, I said he took, he threw a coup that was to overthrow Laura Dern's character. And yeah, the movie does give us this nice moment. See, a redemption moment, which only needs a redemption moment because the movie made her look like a coward and look bad. I mean, if the movie had played her straight, she wouldn't need that moment. Now, I was expecting Luke to show up at any moment because he's the only hope. And yeah, you know, I kind of liked how they did that, how they, how he did return. And yeah, you know, there's this really neat thing about how. Luke recounts the night that Kylo destroyed, killed a bunch of Jedi, training, kid. Kylo recounts that the stories are different. And I like that because, you know, you kind of get an idea of who you think is truthful, but they both could see it that way and be right in their own mind. Uh, now, I said how Laura Darn had that redeeming moment. I didn't say what she did. She's the last one on the Rebel ship. She's sent everybody else to the Rebel base on the planet. She turns the ship around, starts going into hyperdrive, like aimed at the First Order. And they're not sure what's going on and when they do wow like this the rebel ship tears through the first order ships destruction is crazy it looks great amazing amazing it's maybe my favorite one in this movie and so the rebels there in the base they are locked into the base there's only one escape the front door 
first order's on the other side, but they're safe because this door's impenetrable. But oh wait, no, the first order has a powerful batting ram no one knew about that would destroy that door. There's no escape for the rebels. All hope is lost. Oh wait, no, there is an escape. Oh wait, no, that escape route is blocked. What will they do? Oh no, wait, we got a way to thwart that escape that's blocked. That's these bridges felt so, con- so contrived. You know, when this movie ended, I just wasn't sure what I thought. I had plenty of misgivings. There's plenty of cool scenes, but it doesn't always feel like way these interesting characters, but they're not explored. And I just, the movie is constrained in the same ways that Rogue One has a lot of freedom and is not constrained. I, sometimes I wonder, is Ryan Johnson making fun of Star Wars? Because certainly there were plenty of plot points to speculate after episode seven, but I felt like this one, there's not as much to speculate, at least not on the level of what has Luke been doing? Where is Luke? Who are Ray's parents? It's more... Okay, who's Kylo Ren going to fight in the end? I'm guessing he's going to fight Rey in the end. It's going to be a big battle. I don't know. Uh, I mean, this, this movie, it has some neat parts. The Rebel base planet, that is a planet made of salt. And you know, the surface is white, but underneath, like, you scrape off that first layer of salt, it's red, and that leaves some really cool-looking visual. I don't know. That's Star Wars Last Jedi. I've got some major problems. I'd like to see it again, just try and get a handle on it, and I've seen everything, because I did feel a little bit disappointed. Go to our website, crossthenetflixstream.com. This is your portal to find us on social media, our written reviews, news, previews, and videos. You can email me directly, ward at crossthenetflixstream.com. Go to iTunes or your preferred podcast player. Rate this, review it, I would appreciate it. I watch movies on Netflix so you don't have to.